It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome in, Gamecocks. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Monday, July the 20th. All right, so we're going to do a little something different this week on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I have guests, most of the shows lined up. Um, and we're going to talk to some other people, hear some different voices. I, I think the, you know, the podcast is fine with me just going on and on. Uh, I kind of like that format, but also sometimes I think it's good to mix it up, bring you guys some different voices. And today we have Josh Pate from 24 seven sports. who's a good friend of mine. Um, we're going to talk about the season. If there's going to be a season, sort of some big picture stuff, get into some South Carolina stuff. We'll ask the question is, will Muschamp unlucky? Um, and, I, and I make this point with him because uh, I've recorded that interview already and it's going to come after, actually after this if you're listening in sequential order. Um, you know, think about Muschamp. You know, he gets here, Clemson, Georgia. They're at their height. He's got to rebuild the roster. Um, oh, and Mac Brown comes to North Carolina and starts recruiting his butt off. And, you know, then – Finally, you know, you get Mike Bobo in, who's, who's on paper the best. I mean, I agree with the whole everybody that says he's the best offensive coordinator Muschamp's ever hired. Um, and you have a global pandemic that sets in, so you don't get spring practice, don't get the install time, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, goodness gracious. So, and I don't know. I don't, I don't know that luck has as much to do with things that happen in games, and and I, I I don't I'm not necessarily a big believer uh, in luck, but if there is a coach I think that's unlucky, it's Will Muschamp. I mean, if you just think about every the totality of, uh, totality of everything that's happened, and before all you folks out there that want him gone, start to jump on me about making excuses. I'm not making excuses. I'm just pointing out if you were not a Gamecock fan and you were just living on. Mars or whatever, and you went to evaluate the situation, you'd be like, boy, a lot, a lot, a lot of bad stuff's happened to this guy over the years. <laughs> I mean, it's tough, you know, Inex- unexplainable type of stuff, you know? And so we talk a little about that. You know, Josh is a great interview. I've always gone, you know, with him, uh, on with him down in Columbus when he was uh, running a show out of Columbus, Georgia on college football, very talented person probably one of the most talented people I know in this business. And it's always good to talk with him. I know he goes on. If you're a lot on the Gamecocks podcast subscriber over there with Keith, I know he goes on with Keith sometimes that's not going to change. Uh, those of you that are patrons, uh, you know, that this is not, you know, Keith and I both can have him on from time to time. Cause he's a good listen. Got some other folks lined up this week um, to talk about various subjects, you know, recruiting and things like that. Uh, wanted to talk a little recruiting right now. Uh, you know, kind of resetting the class and, and all that and kind of some guys that are out there. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, I, I think that, you know, they're, 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 when we talk about, you know, players out of Virginia, and we've been talking about this a lot lately, and, of course, uh, the Gamecocks technically lost a uh, a player out of Virginia uh, in the commit on the commit list because Bryce Steele – uh, has transferred back to where he's from originally in North Carolina. The state of Virginia canceled high school football this year, I think prematurely, just to be honest. Um, but they did. And so there's going to be a lot of Virginia players that end up going. So Bryce Steele, that news broke. Hell, McGranahan broke that for us. Gamecock commit heading back to Millbrook High in Raleigh, North Carolina. He was in Alexandria at Episcopal. It's right outside of D.C. It's a private school. 
Uh, I think he, I think you could board there, you know, live there and stuff. So he's going to get his senior season in George Wilson. I don't know. Um, and he said, cause he got, uh, you know, he sort of got the, uh, the old cancellation and, and I don't, I don't know what's going on in Virginia. It's usually, I don't know. I don't know if it's the government there or what, but I, I, I thought that was very premature uh, to just cancel the season. Uh, you know, right now, uh, I don't know what that says. Uh, but anyway, South Carolina's in on this kid, Kelvin, Kelvin Gilliam. And I'm not saying the Gamecocks are going to get him because I don't know. I think, I think Penn State's in the mix for him, John Scott Jr., recruiting him. I, I know he likes LSU a lot, but his crystal ball, he's got one prediction, is for Oklahoma. A lot of people think Oklahoma's kind of in the mix, you know, strongly in the mix. I don't know, based on some conversations I had over the weekend specifically about him, that necessarily Oklahoma's going to have room in their class. Not that he's not good. I mean, he's the number 105 player in the country per 24-7 sports composite. Um, Oklahoma, just as we know, like a lot of powerful schools, they have certain, you know, numbers that they have to hit, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So, you know, he's scheduled or saying he's going to announce here in the next month or so. Um, really good player, maybe Penn State, but I, but I think you know with with Oklahoma being kind of iffy, I, I think there's an opening for the Gamecocks there. And I think he likes the Gamecocks, but that said, there's the visit thing and, and all that good stuff. So we'll see kind of what happens. Um, you know, I know Hale has been more confident about him than I have when it comes to the Gamecocks. I. You know, still I'm not super confident. Um, Highland Springs is in the Richmond area. And the Gamecocks, you know, they did get a kid out of seventh. There, there's, all right, so for those of you that don't know, there's a, there's three primary areas you get players in the state of Virginia. One's the DMV, which is the greater D.C. area, Nova, Northern Virginia. Um, all those schools that kind of circle D.C. and all the areas outside of D.C. There's great football up there in Northern Virginia. It's a big population base. So, obviously – uh, that's a place to get players. Number two would be, and I don't know that this is number two in terms of talent because I think sometimes the seven five seven, which is Tidewater, Hampton Roads, that's Norfolk, Hampton, Virginia Beach, you know that area. You know they've got really good players there each and every year. Great athletes. It's almost like South Florida uh, in a lot of ways in terms of the types of guys. There's always a boatload of DBs. You remember how Virginia Tech used to have really good defensive backs every year, and they just kind of come out of nowhere. That's that's kind of you know what they would do. They go get guys. Um, they their their program really. Frank Beamer started this, and I, I think Justin Fuente still does it. This really owes a lot of it to their focus on in-state recruiting, specifically the seven five seven. Well, then Kevin Gilliam's not in either one of those two here. He's in Richmond, which ah uh, uh, gosh, Cleveland Farrell would be a kid that came out of Richmond uh, if you want for, played for Clemson a couple of years ago, uh, and so that's 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 where he's from. And so, you know, there's no sort of, you know, South Carolina got Ja'Kai Moore and some other guys from, from up in Northern Virginia. Um, Wolford's done a good job up there. You know, they went up there and got Bryce Steele, even though he's technically a North Carolina kid. And then they broke through in 757 with George Wilson. But they hadn't really broke, broken through in Richmond. I think one of Holtz's recruits, Brandon Samuels, uh, who was a linebacker that never played, I think he may have been from Richmond. That may be the last – and I'm, I may be missing somebody here, but, you know, so, so that's a different area. Um, so I, I think when you're trying to bite 
you know, eat the elephant that is recruiting in the state of Virginia. If you're not historically accustomed to it and South Carolina is not, um, then I think, you know, you've got to start landing guys in, in each of these population bases. So he'd be a big guy. And, and not only that, he's very talented. So we'll see kind of what happens with the Kevin Gilliam thing. I am tracking him closer than maybe I was. Um, Cause I do think, you know, if Oklahoma's iffy, Will he go to Penn State? I don't know. Will he come south? Will he hold off and visit? And that's a different ball game altogether. So we shall see uh, what happens with that. You know, you look at the class, 34th nationally, 10th in the SEC. Uh, you know, geographically, it's, it's, it's spread out about like I thought. You know, you're looking at, you know, I guess one from Virginia now, two from Alabama. I think there could be more that end up from those states. Maybe one from Tennessee that pops up or something. Six from Georgia. It's about like I expected. You know, I think we'll see some more from Florida, that type of thing. And and I don't even know what, with all the uncertainty that this class is going to look like it does now once we get to, you know, moving forward. South Carolina offered Drew Bobo, who's at Hammond, Mike Bobo's son, offensive lineman, really good young player. I think just based on the film I've seen in this practice film, but he moves his feet well. Uh, I think he could be a guy that ends up uh, maybe at South Carolina, maybe not. Um, you know, I got some clarification on Brooks Bentley, which is Bobby Bentley's youngest son, uh, who's 2023. Um, he's performed well at wide receiver at some camps and got that Eastern Kentucky offer. But he, I was told he's a quarterback. He can spin it. And he's like six, two and a half right now. So <laughs> he and his growth spurt, um, will he end up at South Carolina? It's way too, way too early to tell on that. There's a lot of different variables there. Uh, but certainly as of right now, and he, he plays out in Lexington County, uh, he's going to be one of the better young players in the state of South Carolina for as long as he's playing there. Um, also got some info on Jake doing pretty well out at Utah, just like everybody else. They're kind of, you know, waiting for the season. Uh, to get going, you know, and, and it stinks because we used to have, you know, we would be at, oh, one more recruiting note, Thomas Davis out of Aldosta, who backed out of his commitment to Mississippi State. Looks like he's going to Miami. Um, he's announced on August 24th. This is based on Crystal Ball. Gamecocks were recruiting him as a linebacker. I think he's a really good player. Um, I think with the way Miami's kind of been going, the, you know, you could probably see him make some noise down there, even though he's a mid three-star guy. I think that, uh, you know, the Canes need more kind of blue-collar, hard-hitting linebacker types <laughs> down there to kind of make that defense go. So Carolina was in on him and, and you know, has recruited them a little bit. But I think, uh, I think Miami right now, based on everything that we are hearing from Mississippi State folks to Florida State folks, et cetera, uh, I think that's that's kind of where he's going to go. So that's there we go. So there's the there's the recruiting report. I don't mean to get like Phil Cornblute, although I do like Phil Cornblute, and he's probably the reason I'm in this business because I grew up listening to him. Uh, but there's your recruiting report for today's Inside the Game Cops podcast. Um, all right. So quick note before we get to Josh, you know, lots of speculation about the schedule. Uh, the news that came out about BYU possibly being the opening opponent for Alabama kind of threw me off a little bit, but I think it's this. I, you know, and, and if you listen to the J.C. and Morgan podcast, you know this. So if you, if you didn't listen, you don't know this. 
ever from a from a TV and administrative standpoint with the SEC, ACC, and Big Twelve, everything is still on the table, including lining up and playing the season. Or Carolina starts with Coastal, et cetera. Um, so, with that being said, that's still being on the table. And if you're looking for a replacement, if you just play the games as is, obviously BYU and Alabama uh, is an attractive thing. Now, what happens if they go conference only or conference only plus two? I don't know. You know, would BYU be at the team they play and then they play somebody else? I have no idea. Um. So we'll see kind of what happens with that. You know, I, I think the more I hear about it, and the more I think that it's it's probably unlikely they're going to make everybody line up and play 10 SEC games. Um, and I think they're going to work with the ACC and maybe the Big 12 to sort of, you know, figure that part of it out. Um, I think you'll see, because if the ACC goes with the pods, like I said last week, then they play everybody twice. That's eight. They want to get to two. You have some natural rivalries there like Clemson. Um, and you'll play it, you know, and if, if we don't have mass cancellations and rescheduling again, I continue to believe, and I'll mention this when we talk to Josh here in a second, that it's, it's going to be a situation where your division games are going to be lined up first. Um, and maybe not, which I, I just don't think it would make any sense if that happens that way. Um, if you do modify the schedule, now, if you don't, you can, you feel like you can play all 12, just go ahead and do it. But I think, you know, you're going to see division games at the top and then cross division games and then non-conference because, you know, you want to put your most expendable game at the end because everybody wants to get to an SEC championship game. And if you could fit six in and they're all division games, you can fit all six division games in, you can get division champions and, and, and have a game in Atlanta monetarily. That's huge. And for the purposes of the college football playoff, that's huge. All right. So, uh, Right now, I'm uh, going to get to uh, my good friend, Josh Pate, here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I want to welcome in to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, a, a good friend of mine, somebody I've known for a long, long time. And usually I go on his shows uh, as a guest, but uh, it's a pleasure to welcome in Josh Pate for 24-7 Sports. Um, all right, Josh, I'm just going to get right to it. You know, what is your latest take or feel on if we are going to have a season or not? I know I've personally tried to answer this question dozens of times within the past few weeks. Everything changes, but here on Monday, July 20th, for the purposes of my audience, we, we, we want to know kind of what you think uh, about it and, um, you know, kind of where things are headed. Sure, but I really believe – a lot of the excitement and then a lot of the overt pessimism that it seems like everyone has simultaneously all at once. I feel like a lot of it's been unfounded both ways. I feel like the entire off season in reality, there just hasn't been a whole lot to know, but that's not good enough. So people need to take a stance one way or the other. And on late kick, I've been talking about the five ninety five rule, which existed long before this happened. This has just brought it to the forefront and the 595 rule is essentially this. The 595 rule says 95% of people just react. And maybe 5% of people are bringing unique thought or developing new research or whatever the case may be. So now we circle around to college football and it gets personal for all of us. And it seemed like about two months ago, it seemed like a few people were really optimistic 
And then everyone became optimistic. And then about a month ago, it seemed like a few people became pessimistic and then everyone else became pessimistic. And so now we're sitting here on this Monday as we record. And I feel like it may be the early stages, but I feel like we may be slightly removing ourselves from a trough of pessimism hopefully towards an arc of optimism at the right time towards the season. But I feel like we're well at this point above a 60, 65, whatever percent chance that we're going to get the season off the ground. My main concern is not getting the season off the ground anymore. I really believe that's going to happen. My question like it feels like when you take off in a thunderstorm and you're climbing and climbing and climbing, do we get to cruising altitude? How high can we get in this thing? Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. And I think the reason for that quite simply is, is when you cut through all the noise, when you're talking about the coronavirus and, and uh, it, it's created quite the uh, Twitter and Facebook uh, ecosystem. I think uh, when you kind of look at all the different takes and studies and articles, you can find one thing I've learned about this, Josh is you can find anything you want out there depending on what your worldview is, your politics, your opinions on public health, whatever, when it comes to the subject. I mean, I, I, I kind of think that, you know, I, I mean, I, I re, I've read studies where it says if you smoke cigarettes, your chances of dying of coronavirus are less. Well, how, how does that make any sense? You know, and, and then you have all these studies that come from Spain or wherever that talk about, ah, you know, you're going to be an invalid if you don't, you know, if you, if you catch this thing, you know, no matter if you have symptoms or not, and then people put that out. And then people were like, well, nobody's dying. And then it's like, well, everybody's dying. And I'm like, you know, so I've, I've learned that. And so I kind of tr- like to cut through the, the cheese here, so to speak. I don't know if cutting the cheese is a great, uh, you know, example. Well, it may, it may reduce your risk if you do. Yeah, exactly. There's a study for that, too. But, uh, you know, I look at what Greg Sankey said, not on Feinbaum last week, but on OutKick where he, he quoted one of his presidents that says, hey, we've got very few tests that are coming back positive now. Um, and, and some schools did not at the beginning, and I think that was a function of kids coming back on campus um, and, and carrying it in the door with them. Um, and, and he said, well, we feel like we can put together something that's safe and take care of people. And if you look at the different colleges, I mean, Arizona, uh, Bruce Feldman tweeted just about 30 minutes ago where they had – they paused workouts for a while, if you remember. Well, now they have like three cases out of 380 tested. Um, and I think that the, the Power Five schools specifically, most of them, have the capacity to continue to test and continue to keep it safe. As long as we don't have big outbreaks within programs, I think not only will they start the season and play it, I think that uh, you know, you're looking at a good chance of it you know, going off without – us having to have a whole lot of cancellations and, and rescheduling. Yeah. You know what else I just thought about as you were saying that another great example of the 595 rule is you remember when this all started at the outset, we started throwing it. Well, a lot of people started throwing around these crazy scenarios mainly because they thought they would never happen. So it would be fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. And when it was March, you know, I remember the first week that we were told we couldn't come into the home office at 24 seven. That was in March. It was in mid March. So that's a long way away from even media days, much less the season. And so everyone's kind of messing around, man, what would happen if we didn't play the season? What would happen if it was conference only games? And now, you know, we're actually in that conversation. But <laughs> I remember it was, it seemed like it was around that time, Sherbert, where someone somewhere said, 
Well, you know, in order to have college football games, students have to be back on campus. Mm. And everyone just accepted that, you know, because again, 595, one person says it, everyone starts parroting. It's like seals clapping. It's just one person says it and is, ooh, ooh, and everyone said, everyone repeats it. And so I may have even fallen into that trap just because it sounded right. It's like a bumper sticker, you know, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. So it doesn't matter if it's really valid or you can back it up with a logical conclusion. So, I start thinking about this more and more last week. And the more you think about that, the more you realize how stupid it is, really. I've been saying this for a while, yeah. Yeah, like, let's, again, like I said, think it through to a conclusion (laughs) instead of thinking in terms of tweets. If we have online classes, that means school is in session. And so from an athletic standpoint, if you're trying to ensure the most pristine, optimum, disease-free, risk-free environment possible for your athletes, what better bubble exists in the world than an empty college campus for them to be on? No doubt. and, And we've all been to college. I mean, let's just face it. It's nasty. It's disgusting. College, you know, if I live now, like I lived in college, I, I don't know that I don't know that anybody would want to hang out with me, to be honest. I mean, it's it's, just, a, it's a rest stop, sure, but it's a rest it's, stop bathroom. It's terrible. It's you know, and I'm like, and, and I think I think it was the Notre Dame athletic director that said that, or the president one. Um, I think that came out from him early on, and I'm like, man, that's that's a bridge too far. I mean, because if you're linking this to that, I mean, that's ridiculous. And I understand school needs to be in session, be it online or otherwise, and I understand. You know, there's a big debate about sending kids back to school or not. I'm not getting into that right now. But it's for the purposes of college athletics and football. If you want to protect your football team, online education this semester is definitely the way to go. Uh, put them in the bubble. You know, I know it's going to be hard for them. I know they're probably going to sneak girls into their room and all that good stuff. Hopefully, you know, you can mitigate that a little bit. But, you know, just throwing them out into the general student body. Oh my God! You know, I'm just like I, I, I'm even thinking like like at South Carolina. You know, the campus is sort of away from where all the football stuff happens, and then so you got transport back and forth, people getting rides, girlfriends picking up guys and taking them back to campus. You know, and it's just I just don't know how you do it. I mean, in my opinion, uh, but if you're talking about an empty college campus, that's kind of protected and walled off. You know, so, so yeah, what better spot to do it? I mean, there's, you know, you, you go walk through a college campus in the summertime and it's totally empty. Um, so the purposes of the SEC and ACC, you know, they, they haven't announced yet what they're going to do. My guess, Josh, is they're probably going to go conference only plus two. Um, I think the SEC and ACC both are kind of, you know, bowing up a little bit at going to nine and, and maybe they'll go to nine. I, I don't, I don't know, but uh and I think they're going to be very selective. Now, my thought was that they would probably play each other, maybe maybe work out a deal with the Big 12 to play the, the plus one there. Well, then today I read that BYU may be the opening opponent for Alabama. And I'm like, well, well you know, I, that doesn't really kind of fit with what I had in mind, but it's 2020. So, 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 so what do you think as far as, you know, and I know that playing a full schedule as is is still on the table, and that may be what the BYU talk is about, is like if we play all 12 as scheduled, that's going to be the team. But what do you think ultimately is going to happen with the different models? And, you know, do you think in a certain way that that's probably – that's a little bit exciting, you know, do something different like that? 
Well, it's exciting from our viewpoint. It's got to be nerve wracking from a coach's standpoint. Not only think if it was just a normal year, Sherbert there, we didn't even know what coronavirus was. And someone came to you right about the time you were getting ready to leave media days and take your one vacation per year. And now you're about to start camp and you say, Oh, by the way, that week one opponent scratch, we're putting in a new one, have fun at the lake. That would be in and of (laughs) itself nerve wracking. So now we have all the other stuff and it, it just compounds matters. But here's what I'd love to know. I'd love to know if you and I could have this magic orb or eight ball or whatever that we could look into and know absolute truth as it stands right now. I'd love for you and I to be able to look into that eight ball and to know if there is some model somewhere in secrecy that's been sent out and every athletic department in the SEC, for example, has been told, okay, here's the rubric. Here's what you are to work off of. This is what we're going to go with. I don't get this. I get the sense that there is some prevailing wisdom, so to speak, in the room. But I don't get the sense that anyone's quite yet working off the same playbook. I think if we were to be talking a week from today, I think everyone will be far more in sync with what the game plan is. Having said that, I'm hopeful for what you said. I'm hopeful that you have the all-conference plus two, maybe. And the way I guess you do that is you try and put – you try and book in the season, maybe you try and put one on the front end, then play all your conference and then put one on the back end. And what that does, I think is, you know, in our world, when you're on radio or when you're on TV, you learn to stack segments to fit certain time slots. And I always love to put my most flexible content on the back end of the hour, because that's the hour that either gets expanded or truncated, depending on how the first three quarters of your hour went. And that's kind of what this does both ways. It puts, very um, expendable commodities being your out of conference games on the front end and the back end where you've sort of got that flexibility and we can dump them. If we need to delay, we can dump them at the end. If we need to delay in the middle of the season and expand our conference backwards. I don't know. I just, I really think, and I really hope that if we're sitting around watching documentaries on the ACC or SEC network, whatever those look like 20 years from now, what I hope (laughs) You know, my, my sincere hope is that you've got a, a very aged at that point, Greg Sankey talking about his former days as the commissioner. And he's talking about when they stood tall in the face of mounting pressure to drastically change their season and John Swaffer sitting right there next to him. And they say, we didn't. And then history is saying, look how it turned out. Congratulations to these two commissioners that and Bob Bowlesby can sit in the room if he wants to as well. That's what I hope (laughs) things look like. Yeah. The ACC and SEC network, people got to keep in mind too. Those are ESPN owned commodities. Um, If you read any kind of business and you look at the Walt Disney company and the way they're struggling right now, um, you know, I I think that uh, if you think that they need to get these games in, because I mean, you're talking about two networks that are somewhat fledgling ones, pretty big success ones get kind of getting there um they need the content and um even if they have to play each other um and i, and I think too josh i think what you're going to see and this is and brandon marcello reported this on 24 7 sports a while back and i completely agree with him i think you're going to see division play at the beginning because mm-hmm. if you if you the big money the, the sec championship game even the other championship games make money they are money makers, not just for the teams that are in them, but for everybody else in the league. You can play as little as six games 
as long as they're all division and determine who goes to Atlanta um, or Charlotte or wherever. And, and so I think, I think they're going to front load the division games, maybe book in them, like you said. Uh, and then, you know, like you said, the most flexible go toward the end. In other words, so then you go play cross division and then you go play another conference or whatever. It'll look weird. And as a coach, you're right. It, it drives me crazy. All right. So looking at the teams, SEC East, and I was asked this the other day, and I did not say South Carolina because I did not want to sound like a homer. Um, who's my sleeper team in the East? Nobody's talking about. Um, and then who's a team that's kind of trending downward, in my opinion? And again, I did not say South Carolina. <laughs> I, uh, I I think this. I think Kentucky, uh, and that may be a trendy pick for a lot of people because they have so many players back. And then Missouri, to me, I've got a lot of questions uh, about kind of where they're going as a program. Um, you know, your kind of take on, on that, that question as far as the division and, and all that and, you know, where things are headed uh, beyond your Floridas and Georgias and, and, you know, that people like, you know, they talk about Tennessee as being uh, a team that will continue its success and all that. Yeah, I was trying to think about this the other day, actually. I don't know that I have a what, what we would qualify as a sleeper in the SEC East. I guess I would probably look at Tennessee, but I don't know that people really – classify them as I, I classify them as sleeper material. I don't see anyone picking them to win the division. So mm-hmm. by default, we're talking about a team that could surprise and contend for the division. I'd have to go Tennessee. I agree with you wholeheartedly with Missouri. Um, I, I also, I really wonder South Carolina is not alone here. South Carolina is in the same boat that many other places are. And to be honest with you, many other places, they've got it far worse than Carolina. Imagine you made the right move. So let's say hiring Mike Bobo was the right move. Let's look back into our orb. If we could know that that is definitively the right move. Imagine you make it with your job on the line and then fate deals you these cards. And so you don't get to install the way you want to. And then the season gets upturned and you were going to have a bunch of really good out of conference build me up type games before you were going to enter regular conference plate. Well, those get taken away from you. And so now if you're Will Muschamp, you're looking around and who knows who you'd start the season with and who knows how long it takes to get your offense in gear, who knows what your team looks like by then. So maybe the answer would have been South Carolina in all likelihood had we had a normal season, but we don't. Uh, but I, like I said, it could be worse. You could be a program like Florida state. That's a mess and they've got an entire new staff. Offense and defense, everything mm. is overturned. So I don't, I don't even know how you gauge success at a lot of places, especially places where you have a critical mass or a totality of new staff in place. Do you think Will Muschamp's unlucky? I think he's unlucky if you count injury as an occurrence of random of luck. luck. Yeah. So sometimes that's the case. And here's the thing about that. You and I and no one else – really possesses the ability to watch an injury happen on a TV screen or watch it happen from a press box or in a lot of cases, watch it happen with a headset on standing on the sidelines and know which one of these torn ACLs was just pure bad luck and which one of these torn ACLs was a result of poor strength and conditioning practices. In other words, stuff that we are in a way culpable for. Um, I just know that there seem to be far too many injuries there lately for it to all seem like dumb luck. So if I were to say it that way, and he's ultimately the one responsible for who is on his strength and conditioning staff, then maybe it's like an 80, 20 bad luck. We could have done something about this deal, but he did to his credit, make changes in that department. However, 
they also lost all of spring. So who knows what kind of, who knows what kind of results we get from that year one. Yeah. I just think about it. And to my audience, I'm not making excuses here. In fact, the last year I've, I made out, I laid out a pretty good case, I think, for making a change because uh, you just don't go four and eight in your fourth year after you've been pretty good. You can't let it go backward like that. And, you know, they had a lot of players. If you look at the draft, they had enough players to win more, uh, in my opinion, even with the loss of Jake Bentley. But I, I just think about it. I'm like, so here's a guy, you know, gets the job, he takes over for Spurrier. Spurrier left a roster that was not up to standard let's just put it that way you know you go through and, and you have injuries every year sky moore's out your first year debo samuels hurt game three the next year the next year your entire defense gets hurt and then last year jake bentley goes out in game one at the same time georgia and clemson your two biggest rivals are skyrocketing they're playing for national championships they're winning national championships oh and then mac brown comes to north carolina <laughs> and then you know, you make the Bobo hire, you get a new strength coach who I really like and think he's going to do a good job. You, you, you got the year five, you know, you, you didn't get to year five at Florida, so you're getting to year five, and all of a sudden a global pandemic hits, and uh, there goes your your sweet, most likely your sweet opening three games, which were Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, and Missouri all at home. So it goes your shot at a good start, you know, and, and with, with the luck that South Carolina has, they'll probably open with Alabama or something. I, mean, I don't know. You know, I'm like uh, anything can happen around Gamecock land. So just kind of looking at that, I just uh, sometimes I think that guy just can't catch a break. Well, here's here's his best. And a lot of people are in a somewhat similar position. Here's their best interest is to be ultra friendly with media now more than they ever have. Cause yes. You and I know two things. First, what you just said is true. And secondly, Will Muschamp cannot stand at a podium and say, poor me. So he needs people to do it for him. And he needs people to point out this stuff. Like Mike Norvell at FSU needs people to say, uh, yeah, he just went three and nine or whatever that would equate to in the um, abbreviated season we play. But, uh, you know, he did have to install a new offense defense culture sucked and he didn't get any time with his players before the season started. So, I think there are enough people out there who realize these things to where if we're sitting here today and we think that a guy is still the right coach for a program, I'll speak personally. I don't know how everyone else feels. If I feel like on Monday, July 20th, Will Muschamp should still be the head coach of South Carolina. And this season devolves into quasi chaos from a preparation standpoint. I don't know that I'm making any decisions to overturn my current opinion from 2020. I don't think we're going to see very many changes at all. If you look at college basketball, with the exception of Wake Forest, who, by the way, the AD at Wake Forest is the uh, debacle uh, manager that was at Tennessee before Fulmer took over and all that. Um, and that was, that was a little controversial getting rid of Danny Manning and paying him 15 million in the middle of this. Man. But um if you think about it, though, that, that, you know, college basketball ended and nobody got fired. Very few people got fired. And I just I just I don't know that anybody's getting fired this year, especially if we have a situation where we're rescheduling games week to week. We have teams forfeiting um, and, and it's kind of a, a clunky car. Now, uh, even with that, if the season goes off, let's say they play the 10 games or whatever, and it's fine. Money wise, you know, if you're only letting 15,000 in the stands, you're still going to take a bath. You're, I mean, even with the TV money and all that, you're not going to be as bad off. 
But I still, you know, some of these buyouts, I just don't know the teams are going to play it, pay it. I don't think that they will either. And this is, you know, you have to walk such a tightrope because on one hand, if you're in the decision-making position, part of your job is to be prudent and to have patience and perspective. All the P's basically have patience and perspective and don't just make knee-jerk reactions based on a four-game stretch or something like that. But at the same time, when it's time to act, you have to take definitive action, swift action, or else you get yourself in the kind of predicament that USC on the West Coast is in. You know, mm. LSU found themselves in a predicament like this. They got to the end of a season and they did not believe Les Miles was their head coach anymore, but they couldn't get their internal ducks in a row. So they rolled over to the next year and you had this mess where a guy gets four games into the season and then you fire him. Well, at USC West Coast, you've got Clay Helton and that guy's been viewed as a lame duck for over a year and a half, two years now, but they'd make a change at AD and the president doesn't want to make a move. Doesn't even care about football for all I know. And so they get to the end of last year and everyone assumes he's going to get fired, but we're just not going to do it this year. So, Hey, we open with Alabama. They'll obliterate us. Oregon will take us down next year. And then we'll have all the reason in the world to fire him. Or will you? Because then stuff <laughs> totally out of your control happens. So, I'm not saying that that's equal. Clay Helton and, and Will Muschamp, I'm not equating those two situations. I'm just saying this is the role of an athletic director. Like, that's the job. You got to, on one hand, you got to be very patient, but on the other hand, you got to be very swift. And I don't know that those two go hand in hand all the time. Ah, definitely not. Definitely not. Well, Josh. Uh, listen, uh, we've been a big fan, obviously, of, of the video work at Twenty Four Seven Sports. Tell everybody about the, the, in the audience here about you know subscribing to the YouTube page and also what that does. Like, because a lot of people they you know, subscribe, they think they have to pay. Uh, just kind of roll roll people through that process um, because I would like you guys out there that are listening to all go subscribe to the Twenty Four Seven Sports YouTube page, which features. Josh Pate and a lot of great SEC content constantly and college football content, not just the SEC, but a whole bunch of stuff. A lot of it is SEC though. So go check that out. And in the way you said it, see, I think sometimes I'm so immersed in that world every day. I forget people. A lot of people don't really understand what this means because subscribe is a dirty word to a lot of people. That means Mm -hmm. open your wallet. So it doesn't cost. In fact, I, I won't ask you to do anything that cost a dime. All you do is on the 24 seven sports YouTube channel, you can search 24 seven sports on YouTube and our channel will pop up. You click on that channel and subscribe to it. And what we do is among other things, what I'm involved with is producing late kick live, which is right now, two nights a week, hopefully about to move to three nights a week if, and when a season starts. But right now we just broadcast it's anywhere from a 30 minute to an hour live show. It's on Thursday night and it's on Sunday night, eight Eastern seven central. It is much different, shall we say, than the typical studio shows that you would get at the major networks. It's done that way on purpose because I think there is a massive audience out there that is badly, grossly underserved right now at the national level. In other words, if you just like common sense and you don't like people insulting your intelligence or throwing stuff that you know they don't even believe in your face because they know you'll click on it, our show is for you. And so we do that. I, I've got it in podcast form if you want to download the Late Kick with Josh Pate anywhere you listen to podcasts. And let me say, it's really fun to do that. But I will always remember, Sherbert, when we were in a studio down in Columbus, Georgia, with about a dozen people watching us at night. 
And oh, yeah. our first guest to ever come on that had any national acclaim was the man whose voice you will hear take us out of this interview. <laughs> Those were the days, man. Those are some of my favorite interviews. Josh, thanks for joining us on the Inside the Game Guys podcast, man. And we'll do it again real soon. All right. Thanks, brother.